listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Well, today we are starting a new series called Forward for Eternity, and... I have so many things that I want to cover in this series. We're going to be going through a lot of different passages of Scripture throughout this series. But I wanted to begin by talking about our vision meetings that we had as a church all the way back in 2018. So we launched in 2018, in September of 2018, and there were six months there where I had a vision meeting every single month to describe who me and Julie were, like introduce ourselves uh, as we were trying to build a core team of people to launch a church. And we were trying to communicate the heartbeat behind what we wanted to do for Jesus Christ with planting this new church, why we were planting a new church. So I opened up every one of these vision meetings with this question. And I asked, where do you have your deepest moments with God? There's no right or wrong answer to that question. It's just a question to answer to yourself. Where do you have your deepest moments with God? Maybe it's in your car. You know, you're just praying or listening to worship music. Maybe it's when you go on a run in nature somewhere. And again, you're, you're thinking through what God has done for you in your life. And you were wrecked with, with his grace and his mercy. And, and you just cry out to him in prayer and song. Maybe, maybe it's that. Maybe it's at a, a summer Bible camp like experience that you've had where you, for the first time, understood the gospel of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And that was the deepest moment you've ever had with God. Whatever it is for you, I've asked a lot of people that question. And up until I launched Doxa Church, so this is not part of what I said back then, but I would have said, an answer that I didn't often hear, an answer I don't hear very often is on Sunday morning at church is one of my deepest moments with God. And obviously our relationship with God isn't limited to the Sunday morning worship service. And I really do get why church on Sunday morning isn't the number one survey result. I grew up in Atlanta and Illinois, and I lived in Greenville for seven years as a young adult. And even as I served the Lord full-time in Colorado and in Kansas, the vast majority of my experience at church was more about learning or socializing. Sometimes it was about performance, even duty. Maybe football is partly to blame, but often Sunday morning at church It was a stale, more of a spiritually dry experience for me than I wish to admit. When I read the Bible, though, and I see what worship is supposed to look like, I'm convinced that gathering at church at a worship service isn't about us. According to Ephesians 3, it's about God. The bigger God is at our church worship gathering, the more you can see your own unworthiness. And that's when you are crushed with the mercy and the grace and the glory of God. And that's when you have a powerful worship encounter with God. And then I would go on in my, in my speech there to describe more about who I was, what Doxa Church was going to look like. 
We didn't even have the name Docs at the time. But, uh, but that's how those, those vision meetings all opened from the very beginning. And we've been through a lot as a church over our first four and a half years. After one year, we needed to change our name and rebrand in a way because the founder of the church network that we had partnered with and that we had planted from, he was falling off a cliff and he had created a lot of negative buzz. And if you Googled our name, Vertical Church, you would see all this noise and junk coming from Chicago. So that wasn't helpful for, for our gospel witness and our presence here. And I told our church, like, look, we're going to have to actually change our name because anything that's getting in the way of what we're set out to do to glorify God and to reach the nations, like, we have to set that aside. So in a span of one month, we moved into this building, we changed our name, and now we're Doxa Church. Ephesians 3, verses 20 through 21, is where we get our name. Take a look there. It goes all the way back to that, that vision meeting that I had from January of, of 2018, the very first one. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. The New Testament word for the glory of God is doxa. That's what it means. And we still, still believe these same truths that I started this church on. We exist for God's glory. And there's a lot of things that a church is called to do, right? Let's, let's think about that. As a church, our, the big picture is we are here to worship Christ. We exist to glorify God. And now, as a church, we're supposed to do a lot of different things. We have some responsibilities. The first thing that we exist, the church exists for the glory of God. We have that slide up there. The next thing that we need to do is evangelism. All right? To reach the lost, you, you have Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So you have evangelism. That's a, that's a priority. You also have discipleship in that same verse. Um, we're supposed to help people grow closer to Jesus in the process of sanctification. And Ephesians 4.12 talks about that. We are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And we preached in Peter a little while ago, right? Like, like we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's clearly something the church should take as one of our responsibilities is discipleship. We also, as a church have the responsibility of, of providing community. Every single person on this globe is desperate and earning, yearning for community. To be unified under the name of Jesus and to pour into one another with our gifts and our talents and to walk together in love. Again, in Ephesians 4, we are told to strive for unity in the bond of peace. There's not many things we're supposed to strive for. I mean, we have to make every effort to work at this. Being unified is one of those things. It just is. Because the longer time goes, we make mistakes. We rub people the wrong way. We have to work at staying unified. And the only way we stay unified is to look at Jesus Christ, our Savior, who made us one. But here's the thing. You can take any one of those three things 
And you can make those good things that the church is supposed to do, and you can make it the be-all, end-all to the deficiency of one of the others. Have you ever seen that happen in a church? In my life, up until the point that we planted Doxa Church, I had experienced all three of those types of churches. Either everything revolved around reaching the lost, which is a great thing. It's a very important thing. We better be reaching the lost, right? But very few people were growing deeper. I've been in a church that was a community church where we were making our mark in the city. We had programs galore. We were connecting with new people. We had tight-knit small groups. Oh, that was great. The community piece was on fire. Had a lot of fun. But no one was being equipped to share the gospel effectively. People weren't growing closer to God in the relationship with God either. That was a problem. I've also been in disciple-oriented churches where the teaching was solid and deep and there were so many master's degrees and Bible studies. There was no lack of biblical instruction at all. That was not a weakness in those churches, okay? But it stopped impacting the heart. And people cared more about what they knew and what those people didn't know or weren't applying than just simply knowing God and walking with God and loving God and others. So all three of these are byproducts of a healthy church that prioritizes the glory of God. We exist for his glory. We show his glory through worship. And when we make our main pursuit the true spiritual worship of Jesus Christ, these three will flow out in a balanced way. They aren't the source. They aren't the driving motivator. They are the byproduct of exalting and glorifying Jesus Christ. Now, there's two other common pitfalls that churches can also find themselves in. And both of these also revolve around taking a good thing too far. We all can know what that means, right? To take a good thing too far, right? I had a conversation with my daughter Monroe yesterday. She's four years old. And Monroe, I think, is the most competitive person in our family. I kid you not. Uh, she, so we're, yeah, we're, we're in trouble. But, but we're, we're outside. We're hanging out as a family. And um, Beckham, my oldest, he's nine. Paxton is seven. Our neighbor is eight. They're all playing sword fighting with the pool noodles, right? And, and our four-year-old girl has to play with the older boys. Pool noodle sword fighting. And she's out there, and she gets hit too hard a couple times. And she didn't win a few times. And she loses it every time she lost. And we had to talk like, hey, Monroe, I know you love to win, right? That's a good thing. But you can't let this good thing about you, because God made you this way, but you can't let this good thing become a problem, okay? It's very easy to let a good thing become the main thing to the deficiency of something else. And two other pitfalls that churches can find themselves getting into if they emphasize it too much is tradition and ideology. Good things. We don't, we don't, I don't have a problem with those things at all. We should never have a problem with those things. I think traditional elements of a church can be very healthy, especially things that link us back to our history. It's one of the reasons why we sing older hymns here. 
You know, we like to sing theologically rich songs that, that, that saints have sung throughout generations. That's valuable. Like, of course, that's a wonderful thing. The Bible also says to sing a new song, and we should be creating fresh worship in our heart and our own relationship with God. But communion and baptism, these are sacred ordinances that Jesus instructed the church to do in remembrance of him, right? This is great stuff that's in the church. Now, you can take rich tradition and history, a great thing, and you can elevate it too high to become the main thing. And then other things are going to suffer. Just because something is timeless and sacred, and many times these things are rich and meaningful, doesn't mean our modern day church needs to ignore them or just move on because they're not fresh enough or new enough. You can try too hard to be relevant and you're making a huge mistake by missing the history and the tradition that the church has. But if you're making, at the same time, if you're making anything bigger than the glory of God in your church, then you have a problem. Another common pitfall that churches have is elevating their own church network, their own church identity and ideology to, the, to another level. And this can happen in a variety of church denominations and backgrounds. Again, there's nothing long, wrong Nothing wrong at all with loving your church. I love this church. I absolutely, I absolutely do. I love the people in this church. I love, I know we're flawed. I know we have problems. We make mistakes every Sunday. We've already made a few mistakes. If you were counting, there's a lot of mistakes that have been made. Like sometimes we say things we don't mean to say. Like, yeah, we're not a perfect church. We're a flawed church. But I love this church. And I love you. But we can't fall into the trap of thinking, our church is the best. We got it figured out. We're doing it the best way, and all oh, other people should just be more like us. See, when you love what you have in Christ, and when God moves in your life, and you grow in a specific church, and God, and you see God in a, in a very real and tangible way, like that's awesome. And our human nature is to elevate, all right, this church or this pastor or this speaker or this like way of doing things, like this is the be all end all. And that's very dangerous because you've elevated people, you've elevated a process too high above just simply worshiping Christ and glorifying God. And you're eventually going to get into problems, huge problems. We are the gather to worship God. And yes, we're going to gather and we're going to learn about God. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to also use our spiritual gifts to pour into other people, to walk alongside one another in love and support one another. But church cannot be about our group is better than that group. And we have it going on and they don't. Because that's prideful. And that will cause a fall. And you've elevated yourself over Jesus Christ. It's to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So when God led me to plant Doxa, this is just simply what God showed me. We want to stay balanced. We exist for the glory of God. And that's the same purpose of the church. We gather to worship Christ and to be in awe and wonder of what he has done for us. And when God is big, I am small. 
and I am undone, and I feel the weight and the glory of God, and I, and I see my own insufficiency, and I am moved to be in love with God and to see him in a deeper and wider way. That's when things happen. So our church is called Doxa Church, partly because every other good name was taken in the upstate area, right? A lot of graces, a lot of Calvaries. But also, even more, because that's, our, that's just our heartbeat, right? Like, we exist for the glory of God. We're not going to say we're better than anyone else because we have that name. Of course not. We don't, we don't want to play that game. We want to keep Christ first. That's why I don't even talk about this kind of stuff very often. But when we keep the glory of God and the worship of Christ paramount, we have a much better chance of staying balanced in those three big categories and also not falling into the pitfalls of taking those other good elements too far as well. Now, some people are rule followers. Some people are more rebellious, right? Like, there's one of two people, really, at the end of the day. Some people like to be that, uh, that older brother who stays in line with the father. They, he stays working in the field, just doing what he's supposed to do. Some people are the rebellious prodigal son. Like, no, I don't, I'm an independent thinker. I want to go off and do it my own way. You can even see that in the church a lot of times and how those, how those things shake out. Um, there are going to be people who gravitate towards just soaking in the traditional, like, this feels good, I'm comfortable with this. There's other people who gravitate towards, no, I want something new and fresh and wild, and, and I'm going to shove off the traditional and do it my way. So either way, either way you tend to go, pride can be at the center of both of those things. And that's what we want to avoid. And the only way we avoid pride is by keeping our eyes off of us and what we desire and onto God. Who are we here for? We're here for Jesus Christ. We're here to worship him. We're here to glorify God. So we aren't an evangelism church. We're not a discipleship church. We're not a community church. We are a church who is here to worship and to glorify God. It's that simple. We don't elevate tradition, and we don't overly elevate our identity and community either. We aren't about us. We are about God. It's that simple. And everything we do is to make him known and to be moved and overwhelmed by the never-ending grace upon grace that we receive from God our Father, the steadfast love of God. And I say all of that to say in this new series, Forward for Eternity, we are getting back to our roots. Many of you realize that we need to raise some more money for a new location. This building right here that we're currently all in has been sold. So we're on borrowed time here. It's nothing to panic about. It's actually something just to get excited about. Because God has some very big plans for this body of believers. And full transparency, I have nothing to hide. Eventually, in this series, we're going to talk about stewardship. We're going to talk about generosity. And we're going to be talking about those topics because Jesus talked a lot about them. And because they are very relevant for us right now at this, this next phase. Because we're standing at a pivot point. We're going to step into a new era of our church's history. And I believe it's my responsibility to teach on giving and stewardship and what is behind that. It's the word sacrifice. 
For months, I have been asking our church to pray bold prayers. And right now, we're on the precipice of God answering those prayers and to build something that is beyond our dreams. I believe this next move is a step forward in that direction. But what I want you to see in this series is that it's not about the here and now. It's not about what feels good or looks good or even what makes sense. It's about what is God doing? What is God doing? And this church is not perfect. We talked about that. We all make mistakes. And we are not perfect because, yeah, we have humans who make mistakes, right? Like that's, that's who we are. But we have done our best to remain faithful. And that's really all that God asks of us. If we are faithful, God will grow our ministry. He will expand our reach. And it's easy to fall prey to comfort Christianity, which is, well, I got my life group that's comfortable, and I love these people, they love me, and I don't really need to do anything else, right? That's the same mentality that drifts into these churches that have been dead for 20 years, who've dwindled down to, like, it's us, we got our thing going on, and they've lost sight of all the things that God has for them, how they can glorify God in their community. So my goal in this series is to stir your heart for God's glory and go back to what is God really doing. You, if you're a member of this church, are being used by God to build his church. The church that Jesus Christ shed his blood for. The church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. The church is God's priority. It's his bride. It's a really big deal. And the church doesn't exist without you using the gifts that the Lord has given you to serve in that church and to build that church. He builds his church through you. So as we move forward, it's not just about a building that's a mile and a half down the road for us to have a greater impact in our community. That's that's exciting. That's important. Yes. But it's about the individual lives that will be changed. It's about seeing the gospel transform marriages and completely, completely affect and change homes and turn them upside down into homes where people have love and peace and shelter. It's a haven from the world. We want to affect people and families that will affect generations. So it's about moving forward for eternity, not just down the street. All of that starts with true spiritual worship. So if you would now, please open up your Bible and turn with me to Romans 12. Today's message is called True Spiritual Worship. And I have three points for you um, that you'll see here on your outline. We're actually going to only get to one of those points today, though. (laughs) I worked on this all week, and the longer the week went on, by yesterday, last night, and this morning, I was like, you know, I I don't want to, I'm really just going to stick with this one point, and we'll cover the next two next week. But take a look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. You can see all three of them in these first two verses. Uh, Read along with me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The first piece of true spiritual worship is found right here in Romans 12, verse 1. I know you can say it with me. If you've been in this church, you know how these outlines work, right? (laughs) Number one, it's to present your body as a living sacrifice. So question for you. What is the first thing that you think about when you think of true spiritual worship? Well, a lot of that depends on what kind of church background you come from, right? When you, what comes to your mind when you hear true spiritual worship? Is it rosary prayers? Is it praise music? Citing catechisms? Signs and wonders? There's a lot of different ways we could go with this. But when people think of true spiritual worship, what they gravitate towards. Let's, let's block all that out and let's look at simply what does the text say? Look at it again. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's pretty clear. Here's what spiritual worship is all about. Before you get to any of that other stuff, here's where it starts. It's to present your body as a living sacrifice. So let's talk about sacrifice for a little bit. Sacrifices were a big part of worship before Jesus Christ. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, all true worship revolved around offering a sacrificial lamb or another type of animal, if you were poor, for the atonement of your sin. That was an act of worship. And those Old Testament sacrifices were never complete or final because humans would keep on sinning. But the sacrifice's main purpose wasn't to cleanse you or make you have a clean heart. It wasn't doing that. had nothing to do with that, really. It simply served as a reminder that you were a sinner and that you need an ultimate Savior. The act of worship was a reminder of that. And that's what you had throughout the entire Old Testament. Those sacrifices were more of a reminder of our own fallenness And their purpose was to point ahead to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. But offering a sacrifice was very much an act of worship. And the Old Testament priests, they had a bloody job. I mean, almost every day, five days a week, they were slaughtering animals and offering those dead bodies now, those dead animal bodies, on an altar as a sacrifice to God in an act of worship. Hebrews 10 talks about this. And this is a verse we saw last week as well, but I'm going to share it again. Hebrews 10, 11 through 13. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. So we talked about on Easter. We talked about Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He is king, and he is sitting at the right hand of God. But here's where we come in. There's no more need for animal sacrifices. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) 
I'm glad I don't have to slaughter lambs every day. <laughs> All right? We don't have to do that anymore. You know, I don't have the Old Testament bloody job of a priest. Instead of a dead animal sacrifice, your act of worship now is to present your body as a living sacrifice. You're part of the church. We're in the new age of, of Jesus Christ and his church. It's the new covenant. So what does that mean? It means you are not your own. You are bought with a price. It means for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So in the new covenant church age, you are very much alive. Remember that verse? For freedom, Christ has set us free. But you are to use your freedom to serve your Savior. It's exciting. For those of you who do have kids, you know what it feels like to sacrifice your time and your energy to help your kids. For those of you who are dedicated to a sport, you know what it feels like to sacrifice your body for that sport. Like, I'm a pretty short white guy, right? I played basketball in high school. And I was dedicated to basketball, even though I was not going to really go on very much further in my basketball career. Like, I sacrificed not eating French fries every time I went out to, to get a burger with the team. You know, I cut out French fries. I cut out soda the entire year. I did everything I could to make my body as strong and, and fast as possible. Okay? I sacrificed because I was dedicated to the sport. Those of you who are dedicated to your career and your job, some of you are dedicated to a musical instrument or a, maybe a theor, the, theatrical performance, a production. Like when you are dedicated to something, you sacrifice your time and your energy to that thing. My wife, Julie, some of you know this about her. She was dedicated as a musician as a kid. She spent so many hours of her life in, in the piano studio practicing her French horn. And she is a very accomplished musician because she dedicated hours and hours and hours of practice to the French horn, to the piano. It takes, takes sacrifice to get good at something like that, right? Most of us know what it feels like to sacrifice for something. Now, there's also a kind of sacrifice that feels obligatory. You do it because you feel like you have to. Um, there are kids who have parents who push sports on them, and the kid doesn't even actually even have the same love of the sport that their parent has, but they feel obligated to do it because it's like, I guess I have to please mom and dad. I, when I, back when I was a barista and I worked at Starbucks, you know, those years of my life, I had a lot of conversations with parents. You know, here they were getting their coffee. I remember one guy in particular, he was just like so depressed one day. Um, it, it was kind of like a little pastoral counseling when I was a barista. Like I knew some of these customers so well, like always have to work in great, great conversations and point them to Christ. But he was just so sad because his boy had played baseball since he was like six years old. His boy was 17 years old and his boy was completely burned out from baseball. And the dad felt like he had failed. But the dad, like, he owned it. He's like, I really pushed this sport on my kid so much that my kid despises the sport. Like, what are you really doing? Like, you've made this sport an obligation to your kid, and he's over it. He doesn't enjoy it anymore. There are kids who have parents who 
get music pushed on them. I mean, it's the family identity. We have to stand out because we are incredible musicians. And so there's pressure on the kid to perform. What happens when you get the wrong kind of pressure to perform? Well, you burn out. You get resentment. Do you ever see that kind of same pressure applied in the church? You get that happening in the church when you're missing true spiritual worship and you've made it about one of those other things. Do you see that? For people that truly care about something, for people that have to, you can fill in the blank for me. Like, I I know I want to do this. The right way to do it is what? For the love of the game, right? Or the love of the whatever, fill in the blank. It could be for the violin or the theater, you name it. But when you truly care about something because you love it, you will sacrifice for it. You won't just be obligated to do it. You won't dutifully perform it. But if you don't truly love it and you're doing it out of duty, you're headed for trouble. Okay? We can't let our church experience, the glory of God, be a duty thing. I guess I have to do this because it's the right thing to do. You will straighten up and you will show up to church and you will do the right thing. Let's back up. Is that true spiritual worship? Of course not. You're forcing somebody to do something that's going to backfire. We worship God because we see how much he loved us. He sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for us. He loved us before we first loved him. And it's not a duty. It's a, whoa, I am free now? I am free to serve? This is amazing. So Christianity isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not fire insurance just to stay out of the lake of fire. It's not either one of those things. Christianity isn't a country club or a comfortable place to get rich and be blessed or to make friends and, and, and connect and, and, and socialize and build my little photography business or my, uh, my, my real estate career, advance that through some connections at church. Like, no, those are all bad reasons. For years and years and years, churches in our country have fed off of that kind of a process. And it ends up with people saying, no, thanks, that's not for me. I'm burned out. I resent it. (coughs) To worship Christ is not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be a sacrifice. When we do it because we realize that we were in slavery, we were in Egypt. We sung about this already today, right? That whole story of the exodus, the deliverance out of the God's people were delivered out of slavery of Egypt into the promised land. That is a picture of our salvation, of being delivered out of the slavery of sin into the freedom of the pasture that Christ gives us, the relationship we have with him. Romans 6 teaches us that you were a slave to your sin. Slavery is one of the darkest pieces in our nation's history. And I mean, it's hard to even talk about this. I don't even really want to bring up the subject of slavery, but like it fits right here. So I think we should talk about it a little bit. Our country was founded on freedom. And many of our founding fathers were against slavery, But the institution of slavery still worked itself in because slavery dominated the developed world at the time. Um, 
and it found its way into our country. Thankfully, it was abolished with the Emancipation Proclamation in 1862. You know, it was one of the things that led to war in our nation. But when you study slavery, you see a lot of horrific abuses. You see wickedness. You see all of that. And I don't want to minimize any of that. At the same time, if you, if you do a thorough study of slavery in our country, you also see some amazing stories of Christians stepping out and fighting against a broken culture. You also see pioneers who fought against the institution of slavery by purchasing slaves with their own money and then setting those slaves free. It doesn't get talked about a lot in our country anymore, but in the 1850s, this was something that happened regularly. Christians would go out to a slave market, buy a slave, and then sign the papers and set them free. When that happens, usually the slaves were shocked and stunned. And there's story after story of of those former slaves saying to the person who set them free, like, I'm ready to serve you. Like, let me just serve you. I want to serve you now. And a lot of times when you go back and you read those stories, you see those people say, hey, no, I'm not going to let you serve me, but I will pay you if you want to work for me, and I will pay you a a, a good, healthy wage. That's, that's, That's a great picture of the gospel, of how we were bought out of slavery by the blood of Jesus Christ. He set us free, and now we desire to serve God. We desire to sacrifice for him. Because we have been set free. God says there is either male nor female, slave or free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. And yes, I know I brought up the topic of slavery, and it is a touchy subject for sure, because there are some people who take the Bible and they say, hey, look, the Bible condones slavery. Um, the Bible doesn't say it's wrong. Here's the thing. Even if you, if you step back and you look at the time period of the, in the world when the scripture was written... Slavery wasn't about a one race enslaving another race thing. It was more of a financial thing. And there were multiple races that would be enslaved. And usually it was for a period of time, not always, but it was like you're in debt, you're going to go in in slavery for a while. There were some slavery positions that were actually uh, a pedagogue was a very intellectual, like smart teacher, right? So we can't really compare these things. But even if you go back to what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches that one human being owning another human being is evil. That's, that's the heart of God. He says we are all one. We are all created equal. We are all made in the image of God. So the whole reason why slavery was abolished in England and in the United States was from Christians who said, look, this isn't right. This doesn't fit with the nature of our God. And that's how it, it has been turned upside down in our world. So... You have been freed. Galatians 5 verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. When you're saved, when when your sins are under the blood, we don't need to go back to those old things that nailed Jesus to the cross. We've received freedom from that. And when you see the freedom that Christ gave you, you're now ready to serve him. And you know what? He will also reward you. 
Remember, remember that analogy I just gave you? Like, like he will give you treasure in heaven for eternity. And you can lay those crowns back at your Savior's feet if you want to, but he is going to reward us when we sacrifice for him. That's a healthy thing to think through. There is treasure in heaven for everything we do down here on this present earth for eternity. So investing your time, giving of yourself as a living sacrifice for God's eternal kingdom, that's something that we have to do out of love. That's something that will matter for eternity. That's the first act of spiritual worship. And the next two points come from verse 2. Look at it again. I'll just cover these. I'll give these to you, and then we'll talk about them next week. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So there's number two. The next act of true spiritual worship is to renew your mind. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Number three is discern the will of God. Those are the three acts of true spiritual worship in these two verses. And yes, I did plan on talking through those two points, but we're going we're gonna to save them, all right? This is a two-parter now. So worship team, you can come up. But true spiritual worship goes deeper than singing truth. Though that is worship. Renewing your mind and discerning the will of God, that is also spiritual worship. And we're going to get there. But for now, what I want you to take away is that true spiritual worship isn't about one of these elements of the church that we enjoy, community or evangelism or discipleship. It all starts with presenting your body as a living sacrifice. That's more than a one day a week activity. That's not from 10.30 to 12 on Sunday. It's Sunday all the way until the next Sunday. Every single day of the week. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice is described this way in Galatians 2. Galatians 2.21. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have that verse right up there on the screen for you. There's a very solid pastor in Ohio named Alistair Begg. My brother-in-law and his family go to his church, may have heard of him. He has a radio ministry called Truth for Life. Something he said recently rings true in light of this series. A good church is a Bible-centered church. Nothing is as important as this. Not a large congregation, a witty pastor, or a tangible experience of the Holy Spirit. All those things are fine and great. You're going to be moved by the Holy Spirit when you hear the Word of God, if you know God, right? And that's, our, that's always been our desire, is to have an encounter with God, for God's manifest presence to rain down. We will never stop craving that and praying for that, but we're not going to live for that and make that the be-all, end-all. It's a byproduct of, of gathering to worship Christ. And we have a lot of ground to cover in this series. We're going to work through this entire chapter of Romans 12. But it all starts with this. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. 
True spiritual worship is presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Once you get that, you will be ready to feel the glory of God and you'll be ready to show the glory of God. I want our congregation, our church family to grow because if we grow, that means we're doing more for God's glory and his kingdom, right? It means we're reaching more people with the good news. It means more people are being impacted with the truth. And we take preaching very seriously here We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, our desire is to be moved by the Holy Spirit. But we can't afford to put any of those good things over the glory of God and the true worship of Christ. Yes, God's word. In verse 2, it goes on to really emphasize God's word. It renews our minds. God's word is, is the measuring rod by which we determine the will of God for our lives. But as a church, our goal is to live up to our name. We are a church that exists for God's glory. And all of those other byproducts have to come under true spiritual worship. Would you stand up with me, church? Jesus sacrificed his life for us. When we live for him and we sacrifice for him, that's when you are truly living. If you're still just living for yourself and you're trying to figure out your way and what you want to do next, you're missing it. You're probably not satisfied. Actually, I guarantee you're not satisfied. You can fool yourself into thinking you're content for a little while, maybe. But you're not going to be content. You're not going to be fulfilled. That only comes when you realize, wait, I was purchased out of the slavery of my old sin. Jesus freed me, I'm ready to sacrifice for him. And when you're ready to sacrifice for him, and when we have a church full of people like that, we will be a church community that turns our community upside down and back towards Jesus Christ. Let's sing to him. grace of God, amen, I have been raised to a future without end. I set my eyes on a true and loyal friend, the one whose life I'm hidden in.
questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.